All right. Now we're going to do today this thing we call a sermon in the sack. Today I guess it's more in a box. Um, do something a little bit different today. Uh, normally you guys know how this works. We have five clues and you try to guess what I've got in the sack or the box or whatever. Uh, today we're going we're gonna to do a little bit different. If I can get this thing to work. There we go. Come on. There we go. All right. Does anybody know what today is? Father's Day, that's right. Now, it is, it is a secondary holiday to that one that occurred last month that we won't speak about. Um, but it is still a holiday nonetheless. And so we want to see what you guys know about Father's Day. How many of you guys think you know a lot about Father's Day? Raise your hand. Okay, some of you guys are going, no, I know nothing about Father's Day. All right, that's all right. We're going to teach you a little something about Father's Day today. If I can get the computer to decide to work. There we go. All right, we're going to do a little Father's Day trivia. You guys ready? Now, remember, here's the the way this works. First of all, uh, you can't ring in or buzz in or whatever you think you're doing. You can't try to answer the question until after I read it, okay? So no no ringing in the middle of the question. Once I've read the question and the possible answers, then you can can ring in. And none of this, and the second rule is, none of this raising your hand business. This is the summer. You're not in school right now. Uh, well, some of you may be, I don't know, but you're not, most of you are not in school right now, and so we want to, we instead of just raising your hand, uh, Lydia, demonstrate for us what we need to do. Yes, that's exactly right. All right. Stand, make yourself a little crazy, and, uh, and we'll see. And if you, now here's the deal. Some of you guys may have forgotten it was Father's Day, and so what I have in the box here is some things for your dads. If you forgot, or even if you didn't forget, you can still win something extra uh, to take to dad. So, y'all ready? Yes, okay. First question. The very first Father's Day celebration was held in Spokane, Washington in what year? 1910, 1950, or 2010? Okay, now this raise of hand business. There we go. Justin, what do you think? 1950. Close enough, it's 1910. All right. <laughs> Justin, I think that your dad needs this book right here, this red book. It's, it says... Date your wife. And so that's what you're going to take your dad. Uh, and Allison says amen to that. 1910, the first Father's Day celebration in Spokane, Washington. I actually, you read, look at the history of that. It's pretty interesting. Uh, the lady that started it, she, she had heard about Mother's Day, and she was raised by a single dad. His wife had passed away, her and her five siblings. And she wanted to honor her dad, who, who uh, worked and raised her and her five siblings with Father's Day, and so that's where that began, 1910. All right, next question. Father's Day started in 1910, but it became an official American holiday in what year? 1922, 72, or 2002? Cameron Willoughby, what do you think? A, 1922. Close enough, 1972. All right. And Cameron, I want you to give this to your dad. It's perfect for your dad, by the way. What every woman wishes her father had told her. And since you have two sisters, that'll be good for Danny. Danny, you can read that one. Enjoy that. That's good. 1972 took us a long time to figure out this was a worthwhile holiday. Um, But we got there. All right. Number three. Y'all ready? Evan's ready over there. That's good. All right. You ready? Here we go. What is the official flower of of Father's Day? A tulip, a dandelion, or a rose? Evan, what do you think? A rose. Very good. Awesome, Evan. Thank you. And Evan, 
want you to give this to your dad. What Every Man Wishes His Father Had Told Him. That's a great book, and you can give that to your dad for Father's Day. It is actually a rose, strange as it might be. I think it ought to be the dandelion, since we spend so much of our time battling those stupid things. All right. <laughs> Number four, y'all ready? About how many fathers are there in the United States? 70, 70,000, or 70 million? I think I saw Roman first over here. 70 million, very good, very good. Oh, yeah, this is perfect for your dad. You, you have a very manly dad. This is the dude's guide to manhood. And so that is, that is perfect. You and your dad in your matching Hawaiian shirts today. That's awesome. 70 million dads in the United States. Last question, last chance to win something for your dad. And this is actually the best book I have up here. So last chance to win, y'all ready? George Washington is known as the father of our country, but how many children of his own did he have? Zero, two, or nine? Becca, what do you think? Nine? That is close enough. The answer is actually zero, believe it or not. And that's for your dad. Great book called Anchorman. All right. Now, you all get an opportunity to get something at the end of the service. If you ladies will pass these out for me. Now, if you don't read just yet, uh, you can color the picture on the front. Miss Jeannie will be waiting back in this corner at the end of the service. Uh, if you need some crayons, i got those as well. You can take a few crayons with you. And then on the back there is our sermon notes for today, and you guys can fill those out. And uh, Miss Jeannie's got a special prize for you at the end of the service today. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you'll open up to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 5 today. Now, as I gave those books away today, uh, somebody who will remain nameless in our church, we gave, out, we gave out books last year to all the dads, and I had one, somebody in our church who I, I won't incriminate came to me and said, why do you give books to dads? You know they don't read. And uh, I took that kind of as a challenge personally, but also for our church. Uh, first of all, men, most of the books that I just gave out were less than 100 pages, so you don't have to read much. But I do believe this, and, I, and I'm very serious about this. Uh, if you want to grow in Christ, part of that growing in Christ requires reading. And so I want to encourage you, men, find a good book. If you want to see what any of those were, every one of those I gave out are, are just awesome books that teach us how to be godly men, how to be godly fathers. That does not come naturally. Did, were any of you guys, men, were you born with a manual on fatherhood? Was one handed to you when your child was born into the world? It was not. The best manual we have is the one I hold in my hand, but all these other books are good resources as well. So I just want to encourage you in that today. And again, happy Father's Day. It's interesting on Father's Day, um, a friend of mine and I were talking about this uh, the other day, that you look at the difference between the, the holiday we celebrate in May, Mother's Day, and Father's Day. Now, first of all, we all know... We all know, every guy in this room will tell you, the real holiday is the one in May. Okay, that's the real one, and this one is just kind of the one that, that comes after that, basically. Uh, and we don't, we don't feel bad about that. Uh, but it's interesting to see how the messages go between Mother's Day uh, in May and in, and in Father's Day. Mother's Day, we come in, and, and everybody expects to hear a wonderful Mother's Day sermon. I'm going to pick on Stephen Head because he preached our Mother's Day sermon this year. Uh, just a wonderful, encouraging, uplifting, uh, and you, thank you, God, for our mother's sermon. Just to walk out, and you're kind of, moms are walking on cloud nine. And then we come to Father's Day. 
And every dad expects to come to church on Father's Day and get a thump on the head. Isn't that right, men? Raise your hand. If that, thank you, Roland. He's the only one that's going to agree with me. And Fred, thank you. We expect to come to church and get a good thump on the head. And truthfully, guys, let's be honest and say, a lot of times we need a good thump on the head, but that's not what I've got for you this year. And today, as we continue in the book of Mark, this, this series we've been working through this summer, uh, we're going to talk today about a father's love. And in Mark chapter 5, I think this is one of the best passages we could possibly come to uh, on Father's Day. As we're walking through the book of Mark, I wanted to pick this one out specifically for this day. I, I want to share with you today about a father's love and three pictures that occur here in Mark chapter 5 that picture what a father's love really should be like. And, and it's something for us men uh, to shoot for, but it's also for many of us in this room to look at these pictures and say, you know what, that's what God gave me and my dad. And that's why I need to be thankful. And so I want to give you uh, these three pictures today and, and I hope a little bit more as we uh, walk along as well. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. If you're able to stand with me in honor of God's word, would you do so at this, at this time? And this is the word of God and it says... And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, he's now back in Capernaum where he's done much of his ministry, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he, that being Jesus, went with him and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well." And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. 
and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. And you can be seated. Father, as we examine these pictures of your love today, God, I pray that that fathers, husbands in this room would be both challenged and encouraged by what they see. Perhaps even convicted, Lord, to see these pictures and, and to be changed by what they see. But for each of us, Father, I pray that whether we will ever have the title of Father or not, may we look to the one who is the Father above all fathers, whose love is deep and wide and all-encompassing. Help us to look to you, Lord, and to see you as you are and to see our desperate need for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we walk through these scriptures today, I want you to see these three pictures. The first one in in these first few verses is the example of a father's love. We're introduced to this guy named Jairus, who he says he's a ruler of, of the synagogue. This was a man who was wealthy. He was powerful. Everyone looked to him. He was the guy that for all intents and purposes, everybody wanted to be. And yet on this day... He was the guy that nobody wanted to be because of the predicament with which he came to Jesus. His daughter, in fact, his only daughter, as we learn in Luke chapter 8, his only daughter was on her deathbed. This 12-year-old little girl, the apple of her father's eye, his beloved daughter was dying and he was desperate. And so he comes to Jesus. Which, by the way, was not the popular thing to do. When we think about coming to Jesus today, oftentimes it's because uh, that's the going thing, at least in our our church culture. But you've got to understand that for Jairus, coming to Jesus was the last thing that he would want to do because of his position. Jesus had already stirred up some controversy with the religious leaders there in Capernaum. We saw that a couple of chapters ago as we walked through this. He had already made them look bad in the eyes of the crowds. And they had already come before Jesus with arms crossed looking to judge him for what he said and for what he did. But on this day, one of their own, one of these religious leaders, Jairus, comes to Jesus. And he comes not looking to question Jesus, not looking to trick Jesus, not looking to catch Jesus. He comes looking to find Jesus. Here's the first thing you need to know about Jairus. You see, he was not too proud to plead with Jesus on his daughter's behalf. You look at this, he came and he fell at the feet of Jesus. Something that a religious leader would never do. He came and fell at the feet of Jesus. And it says he implored him earnestly, which means he begged. He cried out to him. He pleaded with him. Saying, my daughter, my only daughter, she is dying. I need you to come to my house. He was not too proud to plead for his daughter's life. 
dads in this room, we need more Jairuses in this culture today. We need more Jairuses who will step up to that place of falling on their knees before the Lord and pleading for the lives of their children. I love this quote from Terry Johnson. I just found it yesterday morning, and I wasn't even studying for the sermon. It just came in a book that I was reading. He says, our children, they should grow up with the voices of their fathers pleading for their souls in prayer, ringing in their ears, leading to their salvation or else haunting them for the rest of their lives. And fathers, I want you to think about if your children were to hear your voice ringing in their ears, what would that voice be saying? Is that a voice that is pleading for Christ to rescue them from their sin and from the death that rightly comes with it? Have they heard you pray over them that they would be rescued from their sin and brought to Christ? Have they heard you praying over them in such a way that that it's not just going through the motions, but have they heard the pleading in your voice that Christ would rescue them? You see, Jairus came to Jesus because he knew that only Jesus had what he needed. His need was deep enough that he knew that he couldn't possibly fulfill it on his own. He could never be good enough. He could never be smart enough. He could never be wise enough. He couldn't spend enough money or buy enough things in order to heal his daughter. His daughter was in such a state that only Jesus could help. And so he goes to Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. He does something that I want to encourage the dads in this room to consider as well. Jairus goes to Jesus in order to take Jesus home with him. And I would say the same for us dads. What would it look like if we began to take Jesus home with us? We love in this church culture in America to bring our kids to Jesus. By that I mean we love to bring them to church and drop them off for the professional Jesus followers to disciple them and raise them up in the Lord. That is not the picture of Scripture, by the way. Go home and read Deuteronomy chapter 6. And see the role of parents in raising their kids to love the Lord. And the primary role that fathers bring to the spiritual nourishment and upbringing of their children. And I want to encourage you dads in two ways. First of all, please, bring your kids to Jesus. We want to encourage you, bring them to VBS tomorrow. Bring them here week in and week out so that others can invest spiritual things in their lives. Can teach them to love Jesus. But I want to say this. If your home was like mine, there are far too many of us that that grew up hearing about Jesus at the church house, but rarely ever hearing about Him at home. And dads, we can do better than that. We can do better than that when we bring Jesus home with us. And and what I'm I'm saying is this. It's really pretty simple. I'm not asking you to preach a 30-minute sermon to your kids every day. They hear enough of those from you most likely. I'm not asking for you to lead them in deep theological discussions before they can eat their dinner. That's that's not what I'm saying. But what would be different in your home if the last words your children heard before they went to bed each night was their father pleading in prayer over them? Laying hands upon them and praying for them that they might know Christ that they might experience the power of His resurrection life in their own selves. And praying for them to have godly friends and to be a godly influence on those around them. 
praying for their future spouse that God might bring into their life at the appropriate time someone who will love them with the love of Christ then be a partner for them in the ministry of Christ. Parents, what would it be like if we began to pray and that not just that our kids would graduate high school and then go on to college and get a job where they make lots of money, but if we began to pray, God, I want to give my, my kids to you just like Hannah did, that they might serve you all the days of their life. And that may be right here in Breckenridge County, and that might be on the other side of the world. But pleading for them, what would it be like? What would change in your home if as you sit down for the evening meal, by the way, that's a good thing to do. That may be a step for many, just to start sitting down for an evening meal together, not just grabbing one on the drive-thru on, on the way to the ball game. As you sit down for your evening meal, if you just open the Scriptures and just begin to read just, just a few verses. I'm not asking you, again, to go into a deep discussion. I'm not asking you to, to preach a three-point sermon. I'm just saying just begin to read the Scriptures. What would happen if you began to interject, interject Jesus into your everyday conversations with your kids? Rather than just giving them worldly wisdom or, or how things might work out best for them, begin to give them the wisdom of God in your daily conversations. Now, folks, here's one thing I know for certain. We will never take Jesus home to our kids if we don't first go to Him ourselves. And dads, I ought to be hearing an amen from that. We will never take Jesus home to our kids until we first go to Him ourselves. And so here's where it begins, dads. It begins tomorrow morning when you rise up out of your bed and when God brings breath to your lungs and beating to your heart and the first thoughts enter into your mind. It's rolling out of that bed and hitting your knees before God and opening His Word and asking Him, God, will you give me something to take to my kids today? Will you impact my heart with your word in such a way that I've got something worth speaking into my kids? Will you teach me to be a father? Because I don't know how. We see Jairus here and he comes to Jesus like so many of us do. You see, the reality is most of us, we didn't come to Jesus because we loved him. We came to Jesus because we needed him. Isn't that true? Think back on your experience. I'd say for 99.9% .9 of us, we didn't come to Jesus because we loved Him. We came to Jesus because we, we needed Him. Most of us come to Jesus not out of devotion, but out of desperation. So that's Jairus here. He's coming to Jesus and he knows this is my last resort. My little girl that I love more than anything in the world, she is on her deathbed. And I've got to go to Jesus because He's my last hope. That He was at the end of His rope at the bottom of His barrel and He comes to Jesus on His knees and He pleads, Jesus, you've got to do something. My little girl is dying. You see, folks, you learn to pray in a whole different way when you've got a little one that's sick. Speaking from personal experience, when you're holding your three-year-old son in your arms, preparing to hand him over to the anesthesiologist for a surgery that's either going to set him on the road to healing or on the road to a whole lot more surgeries, there's a whole different kind of praying that starts going on. And some of you all have been in that place. You've walked with your kids through cancer. You got that phone call about the car accident. You had that moment when you realized something is happening in my kid's life that I can do absolutely nothing about. 
I am completely powerless in this moment. And so I cry out to God in a dependence that I've never experienced before. See, I experienced the pleading of Jairus just a few weeks ago. Just a, just a glimpse of it. Not a life and death moment, but, but understanding in that moment, I can do nothing about my son's condition. And the truth of the matter, these doctors don't even know at this point what they're doing. So God, we need you. Psalm 118, the psalmist says, Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. How many of you have been in that place when out of your distress, you cried out to the Lord and He answered you and He set you free? See, we all want God to answer and to set us free, but the precursor to that grace is often the distress call. It's when my heart is broken wide open and I don't know what else to do, so I cry out to God. And then God answers and does something beyond what I asked for. That's what's getting ready to happen here, folks. God always answers and goes above and beyond what we ask for. But it starts with this tender place of faith. I'll share with you about that in just a moment. Second picture of, of the Father's love here. We see the extension of the Father's love in verses 25 through 34. The extension of the Father's love. This is Jesus. You read Jesus' prayer in, in John 15, 16, 17, and you see this clear picture as Jesus is talking about His relationship with the Father and His relationship with His followers that He is the intermediary. He is the one who is the go-between between us and God. And the, the love of the Father is extended to us through the Son. Jesus said, you don't come to the Father except through Me. There's only one way to come to the Lord. You don't get to write your own path regardless of what this culture is teaching these days. You don't get to believe whatever you want to believe and that will be good enough. That's, that's not God's way. He has made a way that is open to all men, but it is a narrow way, and it goes through the gate, which is Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. And He invites you to come, not to write your own path, but to follow His. But like this woman, so many of us, this woman that comes to Him in the midst of this crowd, you see, she had tried all the worldly remedies. Man, she had done it all. Any hope for healing, she had run after all the doctors to where the point where she was, she was bankrupt. And you've got to understand that this issue that she was dealing with was not just a physical issue. It was also a social issue because no one would want to associate with a woman who had a problem like this. You look back in the Old Testament book of Leviticus and, and they would have considered a person like this unclean, unfit for social interaction. So it was a physical issue, it was also a social issue, but it was also a deeply spiritual issue. She would not have been permitted to step foot in the temple or even in the synagogue because of her condition. And we see her come to Jesus, and she's all alone. One of the questions that I thought about as I read this passage and just meditated upon it this week was, you know, you see this little 12-year-old girl and her dad, Jairus, is coming. He comes as this hero to come to Jesus to ask for her healing. And, and you know, I look at this woman who comes with, it, with the issue of blood. And one of the questions that, that was crying out in my heart was, where was her daddy? Where was her daddy? And for many of you in this room, you've known what it was like to grow up without a daddy. 
There was no Jairus in your life. There was nobody pleading for you. The person that should have been in that role was absent. And this day on which we celebrate fathers only bears for you a bitterness. In fact, you've grown to despise this day because of the thoughts that it brings up of a father who was absent, a father who was abusive, a father who was emotionally unavailable, a father who never told you that he loved you. Maybe he paid the bills and that was about it. And your heart was crying out for a gyrus. But what your heart was really crying out for, I want to tell you today, what your heart was really crying out for was Jesus. That hole in your heart that was left by an inattentive father was meant to be filled by a father above all fathers, as we'll see in just a minute. Before we get there, I want you to see, we tend to exalt this woman's faith. Coming to Jesus, she reached out to touch his garment and she experiences this healing. And so often we tend to exalt this woman's faith. But you've got to understand, her faith was small and somewhat superstitious. This whole idea of reaching out and touching the garment, that was based in in pagan religious practices of that day. This is what the pagans would do. They would, they would look for a, some kind of a, of a faith healer or, or someone they considered to be a godly person. And they believed that if they would just walk in that person's shadow or if they would just reach out and touch that person's cloak, that they would be healed. There was a superstitiousness about this belief. But the great thing about our God is this. He will take even the most small, mixed-up faith. He says it's faith of a mustard seed that I'm looking for. He doesn't give her a theology quiz to make sure she has her beliefs right before he will heal her. And that is so wonderful for us, isn't it? To know that our Father is not waiting for us to understand everything before He will receive us. No, He says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to understand this book from cover to cover. You need only know this. The Father loves you. He desires a relationship with you. Your sin prevents that relationship. And that's why Jesus came. Is that simple enough? The gospel is so clear that even the youngest child can understand what needs to be understood. At seven years old, the Lord rescued me from sin and death, not because I was an exceptionally smart seven-year-old. That was not the case, by the way. But it was because the grace of God was displayed to me. And He gave me understanding of what I needed to understand. It's the faith of a child that comes to Jesus. See, He is the Father of the fatherless. In verse 34 the only time that Jesus ever references a woman as daughter is right here. It's a tender term of affection. Daughter, listen to what he says. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Could be your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. You see, she came looking for healing, but he gave her something so much greater. He sent her away, not just with a physical healing, but with a peace that would encompass her entire life. As I said before, she had a physical problem, 
But it was demonstrated in social anxieties and in spiritual division. And he entered into that moment and he said he spoke peace over her. He became the father to her that she needed in that moment. And he spoke peace over her that brought a healing that was bigger than just the issue of blood. Psalm 68, awesome verse. He is the father of the fatherless and protector of widows. This is God in his holy habitation. God in his most natural habitat is what it's saying. He is the father of the fatherless. There are over 40 verses in scripture that that describe God's relationship to the fatherless. And if you're sitting here this morning and your father was absent either emotionally or physically or both. If you're sitting here this morning and you never knew your father, would you hear the word of God as God cries out to you and says, I want to be that father for you. That hole in your heart would never have been filled by your dad in the first place. Can you hear that? With ears of faith, can you hear that that hole in your heart would never have been filled by your dad in the first place? It could only be filled by the one true and living God who created you and who loves you and wants to redeem you by the blood of His Son. You see, the issue of blood was not just the woman's issue. It was every one of us. We were bleeding out. And the only thing that could heal us was to be covered in His blood. Third picture this morning. We come back to Jairus and we see the expression of the Father's love. Jesus has, has stopped in the march to Jairus' house to deal with this woman. And I mean, you can imagine Jairus in the moment. I mean, I can just imagine him. Okay, Jesus, uh, it doesn't look like she's really dying. Can that wait? I mean, my daughter is literally dying. And what I love about Jesus in the picture here is that he always had time for people, he was so interruptible. Dads, that's a great quality for us. It's one that I, I struggle with, but I want to encourage it in us today that we be interruptible, that we not be so focused on our tasks, that we forget that God has, has created us for relationships. And so sometimes that, that question that your child has is more important than changing the oil in the truck. In fact, I'd say most of the time it is. And Jesus was interruptible. He, he stops to deal with this woman. And then he proceeds on. But before he can, they come and give the news that no parent ever wants to hear. There's no reason to bring Jesus now. Your daughter has died. I have never experienced this, but some of you in this room have. You've been through that unthinkable moment when that child that you loved was taken from this world. And many bear bitterness in their hearts toward God because of that. I just want to encourage you this morning, if that's you, and that moment still haunts you when you got that phone call, when you were sitting in that hospital room, when when, when you watched them breathe their last breath, if that moment still haunts you, I want to encourage you this morning. Take it to the Father. He knows your grief and His love is beyond what you can understand. There's a time for questions, and I I don't want to take that away from you. There's a time for questions, but there is a much greater time for grace. Allowing the grace of God to wash over you and to bring healing and peace to those deep places. 
in your soul. Kent Hughes says this. He says, parental love leaves the parent wide open to towering joys and to the deepest sorrows. Parents, have you experienced that? And we love the towering joys. I I loved watching uh, my six-year-old a few minutes ago dancing right here in the front as her mother was trying to grab her attention and get her to go back to her seat. I I love those moments. But there's also moments in the hospital, at the scene of the car accident, moments that we'd rather not ever repeat again. A couple more things and we're going to finish up here. First, I want you to see what Jesus does. It's the words of Jesus that matter here. He says to Jairus, he's just gotten the news, his daughter is dead, don't bother the teacher anymore. Listen to Jesus' response. Jesus says to him in verse 37, 36, I'm sorry, verse 36. Overhearing what they were saying, Jesus said to Jairus, Do not fear, only believe. The tense of the Greek verb there is actually a continuous. It's, it's not just don't keep, it's not only believe, it's keep on believing. Jairus, that little mustard seed faith that you came to me with just a little while ago before we interacted with this woman, that little mustard seed faith that you brought to me, just cling to that. Keep it. Hold on to it. You may only have the smallest bit of faith, and yet God will honor it. Your faith may be small, but it may be enough, and it will be enough if God takes hold of that in your life. You see, perfect love casts out fear and builds up faith. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants, to, he wants to cast out the fear that has kept us from walking with Him, from growing in Him, from moving forward in our lives. He wants to cast out the fear that has kept us captive to all those things that happened in our past. And He wants to provide us with a faith that brings peace. A faith that helps us to understand real love. A faith that will sustain us until the day when faith becomes sight. 1 John 4.18 There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Is that clear enough for us today? This is the love of the Father. A love that throws fear out the window and draws the child into Daddy's lap and says, this is the place you were created for. A place of intimacy with me. You don't have to understand everything. You don't have to have all the knowledge. You just need to know the place you were created for was in close contact and intimacy with your Father. See, the reality is there's one thing that keeps us from that. There's one thing that keeps us from that for which we were created. And it's the same issue this little girl had, 12 years old, and yet she is the example of where all of us have been. Every one of us have been in this place because she is the reminder that we all have a terminal illness called sin. You were born with it. You were born with a terminal cancer called sin. And the only remedy for that disease is resurrection. And the religious folks, they came to Jairus. His own people came to him and said, don't bother Jesus anymore. Nothing more can be done. And Jesus said, just keep on believing. I've got more that we're going to do here, Jairus. Just keep on believing. Cling to that mustard seed faith. We're going to your house, Jairus. 
And Jesus doesn't allow anybody else in the room except for his core group, Peter, James, and John, and the mother and the father. Just keep on believing. Keep trusting me. The miracle is coming. And then so tenderly, he takes their little girl by the hand and listen to these words. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, that's one of Mark's favorite words, 40 plus times in the Gospel of Mark, we see this word immediately. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. And Jesus said what was very practical, hey, get that girl something to eat. And the greatest understatement in all of Scripture is right here. You probably missed it. The end of verse 42. The girl got up and began walking. She was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. Now, if that's not a big understatement, I don't know what is. Overcome. That, that, that was probably the biggest understatement of the year. But I want to encourage you, church. I want to encourage you, everyone, in, in the hearing of my voice this morning. I want to encourage you to see yourself in this 12-year-old little girl. Because for some of you, it's been a long time ago since that, G, since that day when Jesus first took you by the hand and raised you to newness of life with the words, it's time to get up. For some of you, you've forgotten what it was like to be spiritually dead. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and rightly so. The Bible says that, we, we are, that because of our sin, we are walking dead, and there is nothing that we can do about our condition. The, the question of Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to go home and I want you to read that if you've not already. Ephesians chapter 2, the greatest question is this What can a dead man do about his condition? Nothing. That's why you need Jesus. And for many of us, it's been far too long since we remembered that intimate moment when Jesus reached out His hand and took ours and said, it's time to get up. I want to teach you how to walk again. Hey, bring some food. It's time for them to eat. It's been a long time since you experienced that moment. But I guarantee you, this little girl, she would never forget that day. Those tender words, Talitha Kumi began to define her life as each day she would rise up in a way she had never done before and walk because, not of her dad Jairus, but because of her new dad, Jesus, who was leading her by the hand step by step. That's exactly what he wants for us. And we'll finish here. First John chapter 3. See, behold, take notice of, open up your eyes, your ears, and every faculty that God has given you. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And he says, and so we are. And I would just say to you this morning, if you don't know that reality, then that is what Jesus is extending to you today as He reaches out His hand to yours. 
to take you by the hand, if you will take him at his word, he will take you by the hand and say, it's time to get up. It's time to walk. To raise you to the newness of life. Resurrection life can be yours today. But for many, we are far too content to be like the crowd in this picture. We are far too content just simply to brush by Jesus. To be a part of the throng. To be a part of the group that knows a little bit about Jesus. That maybe sees some of the awesome things that He has done. But to actually reach out our hand in faith to touch Him, that's a whole other matter. That's a little more intimate than we'd like to be. We like to keep Jesus at arm's length, to see Him from a distance, to appreciate Him, but never to know Him. And I want to encourage you today. He is a Father worth knowing. Regardless of what your earthly father did or did not do, your heavenly Father is beckoning you and calling you to come to Him today. And so whether that first call to Jesus came decades ago or whether for the first time this morning, your heart is being awakened to the reality of a God who loves you so much that He would not leave you dead in your sin, but He sent Jesus the full extension of His love to pay the penalty for your sin at that old rugged cross to raise you to newness of life so that you could walk with Him. So that you could live with Him. So that you could grow up in Him. So that you could know Him, be changed by Him, and be taken to be with Him forever when you breathe your last. You see, Jesus got it right. When He said, she's not dead. She's just asleep. The same is true for the child of God. For the child of God, there is no death. There is a falling asleep. And to be absent from this body will be to be present with the Lord. And I can't help but think that on that majestic throne, He's going to invite those who will to come on up. It's time to sit in Dad's lap for a while. I want us to go to the Lord in prayer. If you bow your heads. Father, I want to plead with you this moment. I want to plead with you on behalf of those in this room who do not know you, Father. Who are still dying in their sin. God, I pray. I pray that they might know the Savior who reaches out His hand to lost and dying sinners. Dead in our sin and He takes us by the hand and raises us to a life we've never known. And not because we're worthy, not because we were just good enough to earn it, we were deserving of death because of our sin, and yet you reached out to us in love. And by your grace did for us what we could never have done for ourselves. 
And Father, forgive us for, for too many of us. We've, we've forgotten that day. It's been so long ago that, that it's grown cold in the memory of our, of our experience. But Father, I pray you'd renew it today. That this Father's Day we would rejoice in the Father who took us by the hand and gave us life. And life abundant. But I pray for those who for the first time today need to take hold of the hand of the Father by faith to trust Him for a healing that is far beyond just the physical. To know what it means to be at peace with God because we've turned from sin and trusted in Christ. God, I pray you would bring resurrection life to bear in this place on someone in, in this moment, God, that you would cause faith to spring up, though it may be a mustard seed faith, Lord. May they know that it's enough that you will water it, you will feed it, you will grow it. Father, may we know the Father's love. May we know your intimate touch. And may we hear your voice calling out to us, saying it's time to get up. Rise. Walk. Eat with me. Share fellowship with me. Do what you were created for. And come. Sit with me. Share your joys and your burdens with me. Let's laugh together. Weep together. Father, I pray for those that that's the cry of their heart. To know the one true and living God, the Father above all fathers. God, would you lead us to the foot of your throne today. By faith we come to your feet. Have your way with us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to stand and share this last song together today. If you would respond to the gospel today, turn from sin and trust in Christ. If you would reach out your hand to Jesus today, we invite you to do so. As we share this song about the gospel of Christ, the good news that He came for sinners, will you reach out to Christ today? He will not reject you. Will you bring your mustard seed faith to His feet and allow Him to do for you what only He can do? If you'd respond this morning, Kent and I will be here at the front. It would be our joy and privilege to share with you how you can know Christ, to help you to put your hand in His. As we do so this morning, let's share this song. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That He should give His only Son to make a wretched treasure. As 
when he spoke those words it is finished he wasn't talking about his suffering he was talking about your salvation before you knew him before you reached out to him before you came to his feet and brought him all your baggage full of needs and wants and desires he stretched out his hands on the cross And when he breathes his last saying, it is finished, he had purchased for you everything that you could possibly need. You will not find what you need in the remedies of this world. Try as you might. You will only find it at the cross of Christ. The fullness of the Father's love displayed in the one who died on your behalf. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friend. More so, he calls you children, son, daughter. Respond to the Father by faith and know that He will sustain you. And we have nothing to boast about except in Christ. And that's what we're going to sing about as we go out today. I want us to share this last verse, and I want to encourage you to sing it out by faith. Perhaps you need to lift your hand to the Lord. Let this be your proclamation today. God, I've got nothing, I've got nothing to boast about but you. And so help me to boast in you this week. Help me to boast about you at the gas pump. Help me to boast about you in my workplace. Help me to boast about you when I'm with my friends. Help me to boast about you in the quiet places. If I'm going to boast, may I boast in you. Let's sing this out together and we'll be dismissed. God bless you. You are loved. May you know the love of the Father this week in increasing measure. Let's sing this together. You'll be dismissed.